me siento mal porque es algo que no, no, no es lindo ni es feo. It's not easy, says Juan about to cry. More than 30 years have passed, and he still has PTSD from that childhood event. What does psychology tell us about trauma, which is tinged with supernatural origins? I've read the case reports, but they don't give me the answer I'm looking for. Reading is not enough. I have to meet the person who was face to face with the phenomenon. We have a lovely guest with us today. Uh, he's coming in from Buenos Aires, Argentina. We're talking with filmmaker Alan Stivelman, and he's made an absolutely beautiful and sensitive film about contact in a way that I have never seen done before. Incredibly beautiful film production. Not only that, a really sensitive treatment where he brings in others such as Jacques Vallée. Um, the famous Jacques Vallée. So without further ado, let's go to Alan and find out about his film, Witness of Another World. Alan, welcome. Hello, Regina. How are you? Thanks for having me. You're, it's summertime for you right now down there, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> We're freezing up here. I have a blanket over my lap. Here <laughs> <laughs> no, it's pretty hot. <laughs> yes, I love Buenos Aires. Um, let's launch into the film and the reason you initially got involved because there are many many contactee types of stories out there thousands and thousands of them but something really drew you into this particular one with a man named Juan in Argentina and I would like to find out how you found out about him and then what drew you so specifically to him to do this incredibly sensitive treatment well, the long short story is that I was writing a script, a fiction story about an abduction case while I was doing an automatic writing because I was trying to improve my skills on writing. I never thought that I was going to do documentaries because I was mainly trained in fiction, but the life took me to to different paths and I when I met Juan was thanks to one of the books that I bought during my research for this story. It was a book written by a psychologist and a psychiatrist from Argentina. It's a book about cases of abductions and UFO, etc. And one of the chapters is about Juan Perez. And while I was presenting my previous movie, Humano, in Rosario, it's a city near Buenos Aires, four hours away from Buenos Aires. While I was in the cinema, I was presenting this movie. And in the cinema, it was 
it was on this on the audience the author of this book and i was having the book the strangers while i was chatting with the audience and when when we look at each other we say this is not coincidence this is not by chance we have to meet each other so the next day while we were having a pizza he's starting to speak to me about one of the most significant cases for him that it was the case of Juan. And he showed to me one of the footage that he had when Juan was 18 years old. Juan was in a, like an UFO Congress, very small, with 30 or 40 people, and he was in the, in the, on the table trying to explain what he saw when he was 12 years old. And when he started to speak about what happened to him, he's, he grabbed his head and said something like, you won't believe to me. And he like broke down. And I stood immediately when I saw that footage and I, and I felt a connection with, with, with Juan. I don't know what happened, but I needed to, to meet this guy. So I asked uh, next Nestor Berlanda that I wanted to meet Juan as soon as possible. And after three months, I took my camera, we went to the countryside, and we, I met Juan. It was a wonderful day, very emotional, because as soon as I started to speak to him, he broke down. He was truly, truly sad. It was the first time that I was meeting someone who had an encounter with the unknown. So for me, it was very very moving, and also the character. This person was very innocent, very pure. I was able to see his pureness behind his, his eyes. And I remember that I was shooting at him. I was trying to record all his testimonies, but, but as soon as he started to cry, I stopped my camera, I sat next to him and tried to help him just by listening to him because he was very wounded because no one for more than four decades ever believed what he saw. Even his parents, even his family, his, his friends, his co-workers. So it was really a sad, a happy encounter for me because it was someone, that, for me it was really special. But it was also a sad, a sad encounter. And as this story goes along, we start seeing it has many dimensions to it. And I think that was what so, was so interesting about your treatment, because you're not trying to wrap it up in a bow. You know, mm. you're allowing for the fact that, you know, you understand this man has been through something profound. You understood it by the end. But throughout the journey, as you're getting different perspectives from shaman, from Jacques, Jacques Vallée, uh, from a hypnotherapy session, all of this embedded in the film, you're seeing different potentials for what this experience is to people starting to emerge. And, and that's what makes it so fascinating. And um, let's just talk about, and, and we'll show a little bit of the reenactment. We're going to do a very kind of uh, quickly edited version because it's so beautifully done. I really recommend people see the film so they can watch these sequences play out. But we'll kind of crunch the recreation part of it, if, if you don't mind. But let's just show a little bit about what happened to him when he was 12 years old. Okay, let's look at that now. 
chiquito va para allá. Hay una pared. No puedo pasar para allá. So he was saying that he saw what appeared to be a boy on board. At the same time, it looked like it was almost an automaton or something um, yeah. in shimmering light. And he thought that the boy that he saw was sort of cutting meat or something. Mm -hmm. What was his yeah. experience once he got inside? And we'll talk about what happened on the ground with the horse and everything as well. Well, when he was... One of the things that I want to highlight that for me it's really important is that when you see the original reports when Juan was 12 years old, he never mentioned the word UFO or craft or ship. He was thinking that he was seeing a tractor. So the word in the report, he said, I saw a tractor or something like a house, a tiny white house with a hat. Oh, he said they had like a hut, like a little yeah, hut. Indeed, it, it, indeed. it was a little dome thing that was on legs. And because he was young and didn't have a lot of experience with technology, that might have been exactly relationship to anything that was domed like that. It was he, a hut. he was an exactly he was he was an innocent boy in the middle of nowhere in an isolated farm, and that's the reason why he was not afraid of climbing that ladder and enter to this space. And this environment, one of the details that he said is that he was not able to see any corner. It was very white with black light. That's another detail that's really weird. It was really white, shiny, but the, the light was black. And this little boy, or the, he, he said that he felt that this was not a, an intelligent being. It was something mechanical because okay. instead of, of legs, he, has, he had wheels. And he was also cutting meat. He was on a table, on a transparent table, cutting meat, and that meat was, didn't have blood on it. It was just black meat. And on the other side, at the right side, there was a, a very tall being around three meters that he was doing something with, with, his, with his hands, touching something similar to a touch screen because he was switching the display many times. He was seeing something like maps or something like that. And he was trying to interact with them, but in front of him, there was a transparent wall, something like a electromagnetic field, and he was not able to cross it. So, but, but the, the other detail is that the, this small being was able to come from one side to the other side, but Juan didn't. And suddenly when he realized that the door, the gate was closing it, he went down, he, he got off the, this ship because he was afraid of the request of his father because his father talked to, T told him to find the herd. Of course, it, it was, uh, he, and his father was very strict and severe with him. So, the, yeah, he was, he was out trying to find the horses when all of this happened, and he entered a kind of a bank of 
fog and then this this um, craft extended down as we saw uh, he called it kind of an escalator or ladder that he went mm -hmm. up and he tied his horse off to it and he said that later on the the horse had died fairly soon after this because the horse was was uh, very upset and agitated and was thrashing around and apparently he was tied to this thing had injured himself thrashing against it is as i understand is that correct yes you are correct 24 hours later sad, sadly the comet his horse passed away yeah wow. and so as his life went on he told his parents about what had happened and what was his experience then that really caused this to unfold where he became an isolated human being living feeling rejected by society but also alone and in fear for 30 years until yes. all began unfolding and really until you came to him what happened well many things happened because till the moment that we started to make this project i thought that the most traumatic part for Juan was the experience. But when you, when you see the movie, the experience itself is not so bad because these things didn't hurt him or it, it was, yeah, it was something spectacular. I, it is true, but four decades of, of goons and fear it doesn't match with the experience that he had. So what we found out is that the consequences of this encounter were the traumatic part because Juan suddenly started to have precognitive dreams or premonition dreams that were a living hell for him because he didn't want to, to dream about uh, an accident of a friend or a violation or a rape from a neighbor or many deaths happened in his life. And for him, it was really a curse rather than a gift. And that's why one of the things that I really wanted to know more were the shamanic aspect of Juan because I knew beforehand that his mother lineage comes from a shamanic lineage, but it was cut off since his grandfather passed away. So one of the things that I wanted to discover and I was asking myself if there is a connection between the lineage of these people and the UFO phenomenon. And the other thing that I wanted to, to find out because it was something that I was asking myself every night it was the idea of the afterlife, if there is a connection also in the, of the afterlife and the UFO, if we, if we are talking about the same thing. Be that, that's where it starts getting really interesting too, because you are bringing in the shamanic part of the story and the elders and the elders' connection with the star systems themselves. Many indigenous species of people, tribes of people around the world, believe that they are from a particular star system, oftentimes Orion, that was present even, I went to Sardinia uh, about six months ago, eight months ago now, and shot a series there in their ancient structures, and all the alignments were to Orion, for example. Hmm. Not uncommon in Egypt as well. And so this, these lovely people, these shaman, and was he from the tribe that you eventually visited, the Horani? 
yes, his lineage comes from this, from Paraguay, from, from this lineage, from the Guaranis. Okay, the Guarani. And it, we see little bits of the grandmother and the grandfather um, speaking um, in their language about how they see um, the presence of extraterrestrials as being essentially light, light people, star beings coming. And as this story progresses, we learn something very touching and very interesting in it. So first of all, I think it's important to understand before we go to the Jacolet part, that he was not the only person that had an experience that night. There were two other boys, one was out young men driving, another was on his bicycle, that also saw the same craft. And it's important to set that up here. Talk about that for a moment. Well, one of the things that I discussed many times with Jack, because Jack, as soon as he started to collaborate with us, he sent to me he, the original reports that he took when he was in Venado Tuerto, this, this town in 1980. And he mentions one of the things that it was really important for him is to try to get an interview with the other witnesses. Because in the same week, in the same area, there were four cases. One of the cases, sadly, I was not able to, to get in touch because he passed away. But the other two, I was able. Mm -hmm. One is Roberto and the other one is Carlos. And it was really interesting to meet these people because there is something that is common on the three of them the innocence. The three are really innocent. They are like childs. The three has between 50 or 60. But when, when I was talking to them, I was able to see the vulner vulnerability, the innocence, the pureness on his heart. But the only thing that Juan was very different is that Juan was not afraid to cross the fog. Juan wanted in an unconscious level, probably wanted to have this connection, this kind of encounter with the divinity or the unknown, call it whatever you want. But the other two were afraid. They were really scared. And Carlos was the only one who saw seven ships. Not one, seven. There were seven. Some of them were landed. The other one was in, on the on the air and one and the other one was in front uh, I'm sorry above his car it was a ship that was like stopping the engine of his car and then he was like trying to to make forces I don't know what he he was like praying and suddenly he was able to start the engine and he ran away so it was more, less than a minute, the encounter on, on the case of Carlos and Roberto too. So it's good that Jack, uh, Jacques got that in his initial interviews back then. And so coming back into it now, Jacques is an interesting man himself. He's done incredible work in UFO research for probably four decades now. He was actually a consultant even during Project Blue Book. So he dates way back into this subject. At the same time, he has kind of a specific viewpoint on it that he brought to the table in this. So as you see here in this video, you and Jacques, you wrote him a letter, did not think you would hear from him. Um, and Jacques shows up, you meet him at the airport, which was incredibly 
you know, generous of him on a time level. It was really wonderful. And also uh, Jacques Vallée brought his wife, Janine, with him, and she was a child psychologist. And so uh, he was passionate about this case, just as you had become passionate about it and about Juan, because mm. everyone can see in Juan, there's something special. There is something childlike and beautiful and kind of innocent and light-filled in this man. So what happened when you and Jacques and Juan got back together? Oh, it was really emotional. And one of the things that I really want to highlight because it describes what Jack is, is that when I proposed to him to go to San Francisco and make this interview, I, kn I knew that Jack was really low profile. I was just giving and just, I don't know how to say that, sending a bullet and see what happens. Yeah. And um, what he said to me was really, really cute because he was giving me permission to come to San Francisco and do this interview. But at the end of this warm letter, he was saying something like, Alan, let me say something. I don't want to interrupt your project or your plans. I don't want to bother you, but I have a small idea. Let me, let me tell you what and give me your thoughts. But I was thinking that a great idea could be if I go to Argentina to stay with you, to stay with Juan and try to help him together because he needs to integrate his experience in the best way possible. And I said, oh my God, this is a dream. So after six months, he went to Argentina. Ah, and also a really good detail is that Jack spent six months learning Spanish three times a week because he wanted to talk with Juan without intermediates. That's impressive. I, I was it, very impressed with that. Yes. And it describes a little bit what kind of people he is. And the reunion was amazing. Juan was really excited to see him again. Jack also was very... Yes, it was very emotional for him. I was not able to understand why he separate from his work and his compromises and come to Argentina in the, in, at the end of the world and spend with us 10 days. Why this case was so special for him? And I can tell you now that it was special because you mentioned it that it was a case that it was discussed many times with his wife, with his wife. She was a lovely person, a psychologist, and they paid attention really close to child cases. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in a way, it was this movie and this project, it was a closed circle, not just for Juan, for Jack Ballet also, and also for me. It was really special in many ways, because in my case, for example, this project gave me a little hope or chilled me a little bit about the idea of the afterlife, about death, about our connection between the consciousness and the supernatural, because my mind is quite skeptic, I'm very concrete, I have a very, yeah, material way of thinking. Uh, this project allowed me to, to expand a little bit my consciousness. And it, it was a healing process for all of us, not just for Juan. 
And what Jacques Vallée brought to the table was the notion that the experience itself, let me, he's interesting because though he studies ufology, it's not that he particularly buys into the notion of physical, third dimensional, extraterrestrial presence here. Right. Most people yes. aren't clear on, but that is the case. But he does believe that there is a transcendent type of consciousness that's occurring. And as he was saying in the film, it's almost as though the person, depending on who they are and their abilities and, and so forth, and their connections um, in a multidimensional sense, can almost project something like this into reality uh, as part of an experience they're, they're in part creating as kind of a holographic projection. That's an interesting concept, except that two other people, now you say three, one is deceased, three other people also saw it. So this gets really complex. If Jacques is stating something, I mean, it's certainly parallel realities, time slipping and all that. We're starting to get comfortable with these subjects a little bit more. But to create something of that powerful a manifestation that not one but four different people experience, now that's something else entirely. Did What did he have to say about that, that we're not privy to? Well, it's really hard to me to answer that kind of, of thing. But one of the things that I can tell you for sure is that the first step that I took with this movie was to go to the jungle to interview and meet the shamans, these yeah. elders. And the, the first step that I took was to, to go to the closest tribe of, of Paraguay from this Guarani culture that is one of the most important indigenous cultures in South America. And the first night that I arrived to the jungle, I met Plutarco this the first elder on the movie and what he told me is that he dreamt about me and he knew about my coming and he knew what the things that i will try to get answers of it and he was a and he tell, told me that he was going to give me access to the to the how do i say to the forbidden knowledge mm -hmm. because these things for their culture are forbidden for the white men. Yes. Because we are still a little bit distracted. That, those were his words. Um, so how did he explain this manifestation from the stars to Juan? Exactly the same thing that Jacques Ballet explained on his book. So that's why it was a blind, a blown mind moment for me because he was telling me that those beings are the Tupamiri. And what does it mean? Tupa means God. Miri means little. This is in Guarani language. And the Tupamiris are beings that, that are not from this universe, not Earth, universe, but they, they come from another universe that is the closest one to our universe. So there is a connection and there is a bridge between one universe and the other. And one of the bridges are the dreams. So one of the things that are more important for the Warani people are the dreams because they, in the dreams, it exists the connection between one realm and the other one. And the way of the elders connects to the divinity are thanks to the dreams and the premonition 
the, the same thing that Juan had after the encounter. So in a way, while I was having all these experiences, I said to myself, Juan had the gift of clairvoyance because this was a connection from his roots. So I was doing the right path because thanks that I'm here in, in, in Paraguay, in the land of the Guaranis, um, while I was having many days with them and I also met other shamans, this, their theory or the way of, of understanding the supernatural, you know, they don't dualize. For example, they don't divide their, their perception of reality. They don't say natural and supernatural. It is the same thing for them. But they know that there is something that is above us. And the way to connect to that realm is thanks to the dreams, to the chants, and dancing also. And for them, it's really clear. The case of Juan is a call from his ancestors, a call to connect to himself. So he's saying that both the elder shaman, Grandpa, and Jacques Vallée are both saying that the desire of those beings was to manifest in such a way that one could connect with them, that he could become aware of them. And that physical manifestation was simply observed by a few other people, incidentally. It wasn't for them, per se, right? That's, that's an, excellent, an excellent question because I was asking the same thing because I can understand the case of Juan because I dig plenty of, of I, I went really far. One of the things that I discovered thanks to, to, to gain their trust is that his mother, the mother of Juan, had the same thing when she was a teenager. Mm -hmm. She had an experience and it was a secret. Even Juan didn't know about this till two years ago. I cannot say what happened to, to Carlos or Roberto. Probably they don't have a connection with the Guaranis. Uh, I don't know what is the connection on their cases, but something really weird happened to, for example, Carlos. Carlos one time was cutting a wood because he's a carpenter. And while he was cutting in, the, in, the, in his machine, one of his fingers was cut off. But what happened? No blood came from his finger. It was perfect. And when Juan was talking to, to Carlos, Juan suddenly said, oh, the same happened to me. No blood came from my, from, because he was ill on one of his, his, his legs. Yeah. So we are not talking with regular people, but in the, in, in the, while we are in, on the field, it's really funny because sometimes these people need time to open and tell really small details, but they are really big and in, in, in a perspective. And then another thing that is really important is the, the long term of the follow-up. Because in the case of Juan, we have evidence from his 12, 14, 18. So it's like an epic journey in the case of Juan. But what, coming back to your question, it is really intriguing because 
I am trying to understand the same thing because we cannot be so naive and put all the cases on the same bag. I, I know. I agree with that. I agree with that. So if, and first of all, I'm very comfortable with the notion that we are seated from all over within the universe, universes, other dimensions. Uh, I understand what Jacques saying when we have um, beings who are phasing objects or themselves in from a, a closer dimension, like a fifth dimensional field into Earth's fourth dimension. And we can see them, but they can kind of blip in and out of our uh, ability to see or experience them. So all of these things I'm comfortable with because I think they all exist simultaneously. But what's fascinating about this that we don't normally see is we don't get to see in an up close and personal way the type of person that is indigenous who these people are, who is seated from these other people who came to see him, these other beings who came to see him. And the incredible isolation and loneliness, he learned how to hunt and for 30 years live on his own away from other people because he didn't feel accepted and he had these fears going on. And I want to just show a little clip of film now that you caught so beautifully after he met with you and Chuck and just had a chance to be with people who saw him and understood him, his reaction at this stage of the journey. So let's watch that for just a moment. Por mucho tiempo lo llevé al miedo. Muchísimo tiempo. Ahora me da impresión. Impresión el miedo se me ha ido porque sé que hay otra persona que, que me hizo entender y de felicidad estoy haciendo esto. I don't think anyone can see that without becoming, you know, a little bit, a little bit emotional. I mean, I certainly was. I, I, so he's so innocent, like you said, and pure, you just absorb yourself into the purity of his emotions. And this wasn't the end of it. This was just the beginning of the journey to feel seen. So how did it come to be that you took him on an airplane um, to the Warani people for an annual ceremony that would really start healing his life? Well, it was, I, it, for me, it was a gift. I was really nervous about proposing to him to go to, to Paraguay. I didn't know what will be his reaction, but he said, yes, yes, let's go. And while Juan was, was there, I was trying to not bother him. I, I give an, I give him a chance to, to meet those people, and he took took off his shoes, and he was walking all day on the ground, just without shoes, without socks, feeling the nature, connecting with his roots. Everyone was next to Juan. One of the things that Francisco, the elder, the the last elder, said to the whole community he he gathered 
more than 100 people from all this community and said to them, one of our brothers came back. Please, no one leave him alone in any time. So it was, it was uh, literally what happened was every time Juan was next to someone, Juan never felt alone anymore since that moment. And I can assure you because I spoke to him last night and he was, he's really happy. He's back with his mother, with his father. He's taking care of them. He's like gain, regaining time because he, he felt that he lost 40 years because he was not able to connect with his family. And now he's, he, he got reunited. He's, he's a new man. It, it was just, it was beautiful to see that. Um, also to see the, the soothing and healing effect of being among his own indigenous people. That, that was a really big deal because they don't separate the supernatural from the natural. The supernatural is in everyday, it's life. It's all just part of life. It's not separated out. And it was really interesting hearing from the grandpa in terms of how he perceived one. But before we go to that, um, the mother, the elderly woman, I don't remember the, the grandmother. What was her name? He's like, uh, his Western name is Sylvia, and his Ainer name is Tiperandiju. And it's what really about, hard to... <laughs> and what about the woman you featured, the lovely little woman that was doing the prayers throughout? That, that one, that's that Sylvia. Was, that's her, yeah. Sylvia. Okay, yes. All right. So, um, and Sylvia had just the most esoteric, beautiful, cosmic way of, do, of rendering this prayer over him, a, a little bit of which we've seen there. So, he went, when he went in, this lasted all through the night. The ceremony lasted all through night. Tell us a little bit about it. We can see that they were using instruments. They were dancing yes. with percussion to bring a person out of their body a bit and closer to their true nature. Yes, um, that ritual, the, the, the ritual's name is Mitakarai. It's, a, it's the ritual of the Ainer name. Every boy or girl at the age of 12 or 13 needs to do this kind of ritual. It, took, it takes three days and three nights of dancing, chanting. Uh, they use plenty of instruments. Uh, for example, the boys or the men use maracas that they, they do this, this movement and they had seats inside of like a, yeah, it's like a bowl. I think we call uh, them mariachis or something. The shake. Uh, yeah, something, yeah, that, that <laughs> one, the shake one. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the women are the one who, who, who had the force because in, the, in this ritual, men are in front and women behind because in their worldview, woman has the strength and the connection with the earth. And they, they are the ones who are in charge of giving strength to the men. So the, men, the woman sings and the boys try to get the, uh, like, the, like an invisible ladder to the sky. So let's say something like that. And the last night uh, at the 
at the 4 or 3 a.m. with one candle they goes to every person and the and the elder uh, look look at you and he will like hear your name uh, that comes from uh, from Tupa from God and and they make a, like a, a consult with other elders because all of the elders hear the same name at the same time. So they need to be agreed with that. Did you hear that? Yeah, yeah, I heard that. So your name is da 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 da, and they go one to to uh, one time to another. Why don't we take a, a look at that clip of film? and what the grandfather Francisco had to say after this three days had ended about Juan. Estoy conociendo lo que donde estoy, donde ando y veo la cultura y bueno, esto es lo que me gusta y siempre la tuve con mi abuelo mi abuelo siempre me contaba y bueno, yo cuando eh, no sé en qué momento fue bien cómo hice para llegar donde estaba mi abuelo. Sé que estaba con ellos, con, vamos a decir, con esos seres, ¿no? Porque no, no, hasta el día de hoy no sé cómo, cómo nombrarlo. Y, y vi mi abuelo en el mismo monte que estamos acá nosotros. Y él me saluda de allá. Vamos a conseguir a Bamba de Castú. Oya this had to be a miraculous moment for Juan to hear himself called Ava Tupa. This is, how did he take this for himself? It's really hard because this name is really special. In the Guarani community, every name could come from four points 
of the wind, for example, you, your name could come from the north, from the east, from the west, or the south. In the case of Juan, his name comes in a direction that are, for example, the shamans. The, the shamans comes from that side. Or the people who have, uh, for example, the ability to heal someone else. In the case of Juan, Juan has the ability to heal animals. He has a really good connection and a special connection with animals. And now, step by step, he's like feeling confident to start healing human beings also. Mainly his, his, um, his relatives. Mm -hmm. Because the last time I saw him, I asked to him about this disability and he said to me that yes he's gaining confidence and trying to heal someone that comes to him say asking for a for an advice of because they feel for example some of his neighbors uh, comes to Juan when they have an animal that is really about to die and Juan is is able to to heal them that's beautiful. So this has to start, this has to be really strengthening his spirit on every level and not only connecting him with animals, but back into the, into the realm of humanity and bringing his power with him knowingly now, now that he's a man, he's a man in his forties. And I mean, to me, this is such an incredibly sensitive story because it is talking about a connection that we hear, um, for example, in America, the Hopi talk about themselves as the star people, but it's very rare. You get this personal a glimpse into someone who has their, a direct ancestral relationship with having come from somewhere else in the cosmos and into this life. And as they call him, the one sent from heaven, Avatupa is the one sent from heaven, right? Exactly. Right, right. It's a big name. <laughs> That's a big name, big shoes to fill, but he's a big guy. And yeah. it sounds like he's filling them brilliantly. And I know that he's, he's, he speaks very highly of you in the film. He says, you're, you're the big one. You're the one. This <laughs> all happen. <laughs> so yeah. any final thoughts just on that? Because I want to ask you just a quick teaser about a new project you're, you're working on that I understand um, has to do with Cusco. Um, I'm not. Really oh yeah, sure. well yeah, in a way because it's a movie about a quest of a lost civilization. We are talking about an unknown civilization that was settled on this earth probably more than a ten thousand or twelve thousand years ago, and these trips leads us to Egypt, to Iran, to to Mongolia, to the Himalayas, and. At the end of this journey, the idea is to go to the Andes, to Cusco, and make a real excavation to find this evidence of this lost civilization, because it's like a missing point of our history, of how, about our origin on this, on this earth. I wish you the greatest luck on that. I think you're in the early stages of it. I really hope all the funding comes in for you because you do beautiful work. You're, you're a real, um, you're just an incredibly talented filmmaker. And, and I don't say that lightly because I'm really picky about production and music. You drove everything absolutely perfectly, beautiful animation, graphic effects and, and so forth. So I know you'll do a beautiful job with that. But Thank just, you, Regina. 
yeah, just in kind of wrapping with this story, um, the interesting thing is I've done some other stories with other people, Freddie Silva being one of them, and this notion that the shining ones, because even grandmother Sylvia talked about the shining ones, the shining ones come from another realm, and they come when people have to, ha when, when help or knowledge needs to be seeded at any point in history. And it's going to be very interesting to see the evidence of the shining ones in your new story coming up, because those are many of the paths that were seeded and traveled by the shining ones. And I think it yes. sounds like Juan himself is also a shining one. Thank you. And that's one of my goals. Is, it's exactly that one. You, you nailed it. <laughs> so I wish you the very best. Thank you so much for taking time here. And I want to encourage everyone. Is there, um, I saw it on Amazon Prime. Where else can they view your film or is it exclusively on Amazon Prime right now? Well, it's on Amazon Prime, on iTunes, Google, YouTube, uh, PlayStation, Xbox. It's Excellent. everywhere. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. And so again, the name of the film is Witness of Another World, and you can find it all the places that Alan just mentioned. Again, thank you so much for spending time with us, Alan. And I wish you well on your journey and many, many projects in the future. And I would love to do another interview when you start getting going on the Cusco project. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Again, you can go to Amazon Prime and all of the other uh, platforms he talked about. Witness of Another World. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on ReginaMeredith.com.